All right. Last week we did really uh, one of the most familiar stories in the Bible with David and Goliath. And this week as we look at the warrior series, we are going to go to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Hey, Andrew, can you turn off the pulpit mic for me, bud? Thank you. We're going to be in Joshua, and chapter uh, 6 is where we're going to start, but we're going to spend most of our time today in Joshua chapter 7. The title of the message today is The Valley of Trouble. Any of you ever felt like you've been in the Valley of Trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? If one more thing happens, oh, what am I going to do? I think you're going to find a very uh, familiar feeling today. Uh, today's a little bit more of an introspection, all right? So um, I try not to do this too much to you because your preacher, I have a real tendency to go to introspection and to really be hard on myself and the people that are closest to me. Just ask the people that are closest to me. I am really tough on people that are near me, okay? So I try not to hammer you guys too hard that way. But today is one of those messages. Today is a message where you're going to hear and see the Word of God and what you need to look in your own life and say, Lord, is there any sin in me that I need to get rid of out of my heart and make sure that I am pursuing you with everything that you've given me? So there is the message right there, okay? If you get nothing else today, grab hold of that. Lord, am I, do I have any sin in my life? If I do, help me get rid of it that I can pursue you. The psalmist David says, I believe, says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that, that's the, the whole point of the message this morning. So let's look together. Joshua, we're going to start in Joshua chapter 6 and in verse 15 with the valley of trouble. We're going to get to the valley in just a second and hopefully you'll recognize some of this story here as well. Joshua chapter 6 Verse 15, the word of God says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble it. Can we do that again? Let's do that verse again. Everybody look at that. That's the whole point as we get started this morning. Verse 18. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. All the silver and gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. All right, does everybody remember this story? Okay, so quick overview here. We have Moses. We have ten plagues. They make their way out of Egypt. They cross through the Red Sea. And the initial plan was God was going to give them the promised land, the land that had been promised them all the way back from, from Abraham. All right? 
Israel gets ready, they gear up. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about the 12 spies go out, right? And 10 of the spies come back, and what do they say? There's no way. We just, why did God do this to us? Why did he take us out of Egypt only to kill us? We have no opportunity. The people are so big and everything is so large and their walls are so fortified. We don't have a chance. And what did Joshua and Caleb say? Are you kidding me? Let's go. We can conquer this in the Lord's strength and Lord's power. We can do it. Well, the 10, because of what they voiced and because of their sin, God said, nobody in this generation is going to enter in the promised land. So they wander the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, so this is interesting to me, Joshua and Caleb are now 40 years older from whatever they were at the time, right? I mean, talk about some seasoned veterans, right? (laughs) They are still going to go back into battle, and God's going to honor the promise, again, that he made in spite of the 40 years, and now it's time for them to go and begin their campaign to take that which God has given them. They go into their first place, and they go to Jericho. You guys know Rahab, and you know her story, and she houses the spies as they check things out. And so, again, this amazingly walled city. And again, the idea, I believe, was that you could actually drive on top of the walls. That's a pretty thick wall, right? Okay? And so the Israelites are trying to figure out, what are we going to do here? And like we talked about the last two weeks, it was, who does the battle belong to? The battle belongs to the Lord. And at this point, the people of God recognized that. They were in the right spiritual mindset, the right state. So they gave the battle to the Lord. And what did God tell them to do? He said, I want you to walk around Jericho once a day. That just seems crazy, doesn't it? Just walk around it. So what did they do? They walked around it. First lesson this morning. When God says for you to do something, no matter silly, crazy, ridiculous you think it may seem, if God said do it, just do it. Okay? In your faith, just honor God. It's his battle. He'll take care of it. All right. So where we're at here in this part of the chapter 6, on the seventh day, how many times they walk around the city? Seven times, right? Seven times they walk around the city. And, of course, we all know the story. They give this great big shout around Jericho after seven times walking. And what happens to the walls? They, like, implode, okay? And so all the people of Jericho scatter. And then this truth was, um, was reminded of them. Again, in verse 18, In any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves a curse when you take of the accursed thing, and you make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. That word trouble is pretty important today. And trouble it. So what did God tell the people? When you go in and you take Jericho, there's going to be a lot of amazing stuff there, right? Okay. Um, let's just say today that we were to go and to take Carmel. Now, I'm from Noblesville. And sports-wise, Noblesville and Carmel are like just, I think a lot of people in Carmel that way. But they are the, the enemy And Carmel is all of the wealthiest, richest, most talented. Like their swim team hasn't lost in like 32 years, the girls' swim team, I think, something like that. I mean, they just make you sick, right? Did I get that on the screen, right? Oh, who are these people? All the wealthy, rich, whatever, right? Could you imagine if the walls crumbled in Carmel, 
what would be at your disposal? Anybody need a Lexus? How about like a 90-inch television set? Uh, you know, whole plethora of iPhones and Android phones and Mac computers everywhere. Everybody at Carmel probably has a Mac. I bet they don't have Windows, right, because they're all loaded. All right, maybe a Camaro, even Dasha says. Even the clothes, right? Now, here, this is the temptation. You have a group of people who have been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. You probably don't have a really amazing wardrobe, do you, right? You've been having manna for every day. You thank the Lord for the manna, but I, I mean, really, six days a week, manna? How about something a little bit extra than that, right? <laughs> You've had no money. You've just made your way. There's no real economy hardly there. You're making your way through. Your currency is the cattle that you could take care of, maybe a little bit of garden along the way, but you're wandering. So what are you going to have, right? And what we're going to find out is in a minute, this place was loaded. And God said to the people, don't touch the wealth. It will go into the Lord's treasury. It's for down the road. It is not for you to hoard for yourself. You got to trust me on this. If you do, what's going to happen? It'll be a curse to Israel, and you will trouble it. Again, when the Lord says things simply, we just need to hear them and honor them, and that's what happened here. So what I wanted to start with this morning is that sin will evaporate the presence of the Lord, or the presence of the Lord evaporates where sin shows up. Look in verse 1 of chapter 7. Excuse me. But, the Bible says, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against who? Not Achan. Not just Achan, but Israel. Notice that. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. Do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. Look at verse 4. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. All right, bear with me a little bit this morning. A few things to consider. Israel's feeling pretty good after Jericho, right? Wouldn't you? (laughs) Right? I mean, it's pretty awesome, right? We walked around the walls. We we just walked. That's all we did. We walked seven times. We gave a shout. We had been praying. We'd given ourselves to the Lord, and God gave us the victory. We didn't have to go, you know, kill and fight or anything for that wall to come down. It was amazing. And so now our next area of conquest we're supposed to go to is AI. And what were they thinking? There's not many of that people there, you know, right? That's like Plainfield, right? Whatever. It's not that big a place, right? It's some little, little bitty place outside here. We can take that, no problem. Let the army rest, Joshua. A couple thousand, maybe 3,000 soldiers. We got this. We, go, we can go have that real easy. When you have a victory in your life, be cautious that you don't get overconfident. And here's the point. Don't ever, ever take for granted the presence of the Lord. That today, just write that in your heart, okay? Don't ever, ever take for granted the presence of the Lord. Preachers can do that, even speaking a message. When I, before I preach, I'm begging the Lord, Lord, let me get out of the way. You take care of this. Because if I ever be like, ah, God's with me, let's go. I got this. 
That's pure danger, right? That's what's going on here, right? Uh, we've got this. We just had this massive victory. We'll be fine. Don't take for granted the presence of the Lord. Now, here's the point. A few men would have been plenty if God was with them, right? Yeah. I mean, God could have sent a dozen men. If God was with them, it would not have been a problem. But the Israelites have been unfaithful, and here's the thing I want you to think about. One person's sin is attributed to the whole nation. Did you catch that in the text, right? God's wrath was not just against Achan, but he was taking out his wrath on the whole nation because of this one person's disobedience. Achan stole what belonged to the Lord. The Israelites had taken Jericho without any loss at all. Can you imagine that? This great big city they took with no loss, but now there are 36 brothers, fathers, husbands who have been killed in what should have been a very simple objective. And God was not with them. And here's what I want you to think about this morning as well. Because of sin, the people were embarrassed, they were hurt, and now they were very afraid. And you hear the Lord this morning, right? Let me step out and you hear the Lord this morning. When you let sin invade and you're not willing to deal with sin in your life, it brings out embarrassment and hurt and then fear upon fear. Sin will do that. And that's what happened here to Israel. How can we expect God's presence and blessing if we accept unconfessed and continuing sin? Again, I'm letting you deal with that today, what's in your heart, right? Hopefully today you're transparent before the Lord and you're like, Lord, if there's anything in me, help, help clean it up because I don't want anything that is sinful in me. But if you're sitting there today and you know that, yeah, I know this is wrong and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I just don't want to give it up yet. Or it could be the flip side. I know I should do this, but I just don't really want to do it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. If you're living with a continuing unconfessed sin, how can you expect God's blessing on your life? As a church, it's the same thing, right? We're going to have a really good conversation this Saturday about are we doing the most important things. And in that conversation, if we're willing to tolerate things that are sinful in our church, how can we expect God to bless, right? We can't. And so take hold of that message this morning. Sin hurts everyone. Look down if you would there in verse 6. Sin hurts everyone. So Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until the evening. <clears throat> the elders of Israel did the same. They sprinkled dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us, and they will wipe out our name from the earth. And look at what he says here. What then will you do for your own great name? Now hang on in just a second. He's going to get a real correction from the Lord here in a minute, all right? But you kind of understand how he's feeling, I think, don't you? Joshua begins to use this common argument that Moses had used before. Basically, you brought us out here. Now, if we're defeated, what's the point? All the Canaanites are going to hear, hear, hear about it. They'll kill us. We'd have just been better off. We'd stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Right? God, this is, this is bad for you, God. That's his argument, right? Now, Joshua does something I do think is good. 
he recognizes that he is desperate for the Lord. So what's he do? Two things. One thing is he goes to where he believes the presence of the Lord to be. We talked about this not too long ago. Sometimes if you're not sure where the Lord is, go back to the last place where you knew where he was. And that can be spiritually or even physically. The last time the Lord talked to your heart, the last time you were convicted or encouraged, go back to that place, right? And so Joshua goes to the Ark of the Covenant, and he stays there till evening, and he tears his clothes as a sign of, Lord, I'm renting, this is tearing me apart that this would happen. I, and it's interesting, again, there's probably a million Israelites by this time, and there's only 36, only 36 soldiers were dead, but it completely tore apart Joshua because Joshua was expecting perfection. God was the one doing the battle, and he expected it to be perfection. Not only did Joshua rend his, hearts, rend his clothes and tear his clothes, but what else did you see? The leadership did the same thing, right? That's where you know there's going to be some success, right? It wasn't just one guy who said, oh, this is, this is horrible. We need your help, Lord. Then the other leaders came around him and said the same thing. You guys, for our church to be what God needs it to be, it needs to be the same thing. When we mess up, when we fail, if the preacher recognizes that or somebody else recognizes that and they break their heart before the Lord and say, Lord, we're sorry, help us know what we need to do. We need to come together and say that same thing together. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Show us where we're wrong and make it right. So the leadership does come around Joshua. Again, as good a man as Joshua was, he didn't even know immediately that something was wrong. He didn't know that the presence of God was not with his people. That's kind of scary, isn't it, right? And I think that reminds us that we always need to make sure that before we make moves in our life that are really important, we need to know the Lord is with us. And we need to lay those things before him. We have no real message here that the people sought the Lord before they went to AI. Maybe they did, but there's no, no inkling that that happened. So we need to make sure, like especially this weekend, we're about ready to make some probably big decisions about some changes that we might make among our, our body we better have the mind of the Lord before we move forward, right? We better know what he is asking of us to do. God's presence was not with his people, and they didn't know it. And so here's the point. Sin always hurts somebody. Without fail. Sin will hurt someone. And most of the time, sin will hurt many bodies. Are you tracking with me today? And you're going to see it so clear today, right? These 36 guys that died, they didn't have to die. They died because somebody else was selfish. Can you hear the Lord today? I'm laying this out here from the preacher's heart as well. Maybe God would have our church to be something, and it's not that something because the preacher has decided that he wants to be selfish about something. And my sin could be damaging the impact and influence that God could be having among our church family. Now I'm going to throw that out on you as well. You hear the Lord today? You may think, oh, this only affects me. You guys, as part of a church, a part of a body, you know how it works, right? When your tooth is hurting, where do you feel it? <laughs> Everywhere, right? When you have an ache in your leg, your whole body recognizes it, right? That's the way the church is. When one of us is seeking themselves and they're not seeking the Lord, it can hurt everybody. And we see that so clearly here. Sin will hurt 
everyone. So we don't treat it lightly. We can't treat it lightly. And what I want to challenge you today, very simply, is live transparently before the Lord. Does everybody get that, what I mean by that? I think that's kind of important. Okay. Live transparently before the Lord. You already know that the Lord knows you, right? The thought that you had last night, that maybe you weren't sure if it was good or not, does the Lord know that thought? You better believe it, right? The action that you did in a closed space, in a dark place where you didn't think anybody knew about it, does God know about it? He absolutely does. The action you were supposed to take, and because of either fear or selfishness or comfort, you didn't take that action, does the Lord know about that? He absolutely does. So what I'm challenging you today is to say, God, you see me, all of me, the good parts, the bad parts, the addiction parts, the negative parts, the angry parts, the parts where I'm weak, the parts where I maybe am harder on myself than even I should be. You see all those things about me. God, I'm giving them to you, and you make me today what I need to be. And you probably have to pray that same prayer tomorrow, <laughs> right? That's living transparently. Okay, and we need to do that as Christians so that we can stay close to the Lord. And that's what they needed to do here at AI. Look on down there if you would in verse 10. Sometimes the answer to what's wrong, very simply, is sin. Our culture does not want to hear that today, but I want you to see it here in this passage. It's very clear. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go and consecrate the people and tell them, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, you get this picture here? This is really good. Joshua sees this, what has happened to his 36 soldiers. He knows that something's not right. He lays out his whole arm, his, his clothes. He tears his clothes before the Lord, lays it all out before him, falls down on his face. And what does God tell him? Stand up, man. Did you catch that? What are you doing? Why are you moaning and whining? Why are you trying to push this on me like, oh, I brought you out here and now if I don't stand up for you, it's going to hurt my name. The problem is sin. It's so simple. Get up. Go fix the problem. Do you know how many times we try to skirt around sin? We try to do a psychological analysis. We try to talk about how well, maybe it was a mistake but not really a sin. Today, in the day and age which we live, we don't want to call anything by anybody wrong, do we? We don't want to name it something wrong. We want to talk about maybe it's an opportunity for growth. <laughs> you heard that, right? That's what we're talking about. Joshua's laid out, and he's kind of crying out to God, and God says, Get up and go cut out the problem. 
right? Sometimes it is that simple. Now, not always, but this instance is one of those examples where what we need to do is just repent, forsake our sin, and seek the Lord. In your life personally today, there could be something like that the Lord is pricking you about, and what you, you've been crying and begging, and Lord, I need help, and Lord, I don't know what to do, and God may be telling you, well, the problem is right over here. If you would quit doing this and seek me, we'll take care of things. Sometimes the answer is repent of the sin. Again, it's not some fancy psychological solution, but repentance and sanctification. A real quick uh, quote here from Clark Cothern. John Steinbeck, in Travels with Charlie in Search of America, writes his thoughts on a sermon he heard while attending a church in New England. It had been a long time since I had heard such a good approach. It is our practice now, at least in the large cities, to find from our psychiatric priesthood that our sins aren't really sins at all, but accidents that are set in motion by forces beyond our control. Well, there was no nonsense in this church. The minister reassured us that we were a pretty sorry lot, and he was right. <laughs> right? Sometimes the problem is sin, and we just need to deal with it. And that's what you have here before you today. We need to repent. And so what you see here is this really interesting thing where the Lord tells Joshua, go have the people consecrate themselves. Back in, I think it might have been um, late August of 2001, at our church over there in Illinois, we had been talking about trying to seek the Lord about doing something, and the Lord really put on my heart that, you know what we need to do? We need to have a time of consecration. We need to have a day of consecration for our church. And so the idea that we came up with is that we would start meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning and we would go till around 7 or 8 o'clock at night on a Sunday. And we would take the whole day. So we would have times of fasting, times of prayer, different sermons along the way, different times of teaching. And we would take a day of consecration. And we would do that in the end of September. Anybody know what happened on September the 11th of 2001? Isn't it amazing the Lord's timing, right? Michael has a really interesting story about 2001, how that worked out. Pastor I.D., who was here with us, do you remember his story about that, right? There were some people that were going to come out of Phoenix to go into India. They were the last plane to make it into airspace before 9-11 happened to get to land in India. And then they were the first plane to come back into airspace after that. Does the Lord know what he's doing? He does, Right? You guys, sometimes we need to consecrate ourselves. We need to take time that we just set aside and we offer ourselves up to God. And every day I hope you do that and surrender, all right? Every day I hope you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Take my hands, take my feet, take my mouth. Use it for your glory. That's good. But sometimes we need to get away and we need to give ourselves to God. And we do that through fasting, through prayer, through worship, so that the Lord will purify us and make us what we want, what he wants us to be. All right, real quick, look on down if you would there in verse 16. <clears throat> Your sin will find you out. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. And the clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. And Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Look at verse 19. <coughs> then Joshua said to Achan, my son, 
Give glory to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20. And Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Real quick point here, your sins will find you out sometime, eventually. Can you bank? Can you hear me today? Bank on that, right? It will happen. It may not be that your neighbors will find out or your neighborhood or your generation will find out, but your sin eventually will be exposed. So don't try to hide it from the Lord. Just be honest with him about it and ask for his help in changing it, okay? Give glory to the Lord. (laughs) That's kind of an interesting way of saying that, isn't it? It's not like, tell us who did it, tell us why you did it. Give glory to the Lord. Now here's your preacher's perspective, and this is complete penology. You see what you think about this. I would not be surprised that I would see Achan in heaven. I don't know. The Lord knows. But here's the thing. They said, give glory to the Lord by confessing your sin. And what did Achan do? He confessed. He didn't hide it at all, right? He didn't try to conceal it. He didn't wait for it to all be found out. He confessed his sin. Now, here's another truth you're going to see in just a second. Even though you confess your sin and you own up to it, doesn't mean that the consequences won't still come. Can you hear that today? Please hear the Lord today, right? Just because you say, Lord, I'm sorry, then that doesn't mean you still won't have to pay the price. We talked about this to the guys in the jail all the time because they live it. They know it. Just because you say, I was wrong, I repent, I should not have done that, doesn't mean that you're going to get out tomorrow. You still have to pay the consequences of your sin, and oftentimes your family and your friends and even your church can still pay the consequences of your sin even when you give glory to the Lord. Those 36 guys that died in battle and their families, they were still bearing the consequences of sin even after Achan confessed. And they would would carry those consequences for the rest of their days, wouldn't they? Right? That's why we have to be so conscientious about living transparently before the Lord. Today, what if we started picking families? Well, we cast lots today. And the lot fell on the Watkins family. And then we said, well, we're, they're of the tribe of Robert. And then it fell again. And it's of his daughter, Amanda. And then it fell again. There's a young man by the name of Andrew sitting up behind the soundboard. That's the guy. Right, Dasha? Woo! Now, we can kind of laugh because it's our families we're thinking about here, but could you imagine all of the fear that was among the whole body that day? I would think everybody would have been checking everybody's, their tents and things, right? They've been having conversations. Did you accidentally like stick something in your pocket and forget to get get it out when we were going through the town? Right? And here's the thing. I think what we have done, and this is part of your preacher's fault too, but we need to come back to a place where we can really grab hold of the authority and the power and the holiness of the Lord Almighty. We don't think that God is going to strike anybody dead because they lied to him today, do we? We don't think that way. 
But can God still do that? Are there still consequences for sins? You better believe he can, right? And here was a very serious moment, and the people recognized it, right? Well, they said give glory to God. What did Achan say? Probably nothing different than what we would say, right? I was going through there, and I was helping probably collect for what was going to be for the Lord's treasury, and I saw this amazing, beautiful robe from Babylonia. I mean, these guys were known for their skills. So from this beautiful robe I saw, it, and I was like, oh, I want that. And then the excuse-making starts happening, right? Nobody will really notice. Good night. Do you know how much stuff is here? And then I can bring it out later on, and maybe somewhere we'll have some people come from that direction, and I can say, oh, that they gave it, and it'll be fine. But, oh, it's just, we can't just leave this here or just give it to, we, I should have that, right? And then all of the shekels of silver, and I did a little research last night, and I think with all the pounds, like it was five pounds of silver, it had probably been maybe about $1,500 in today's currency. You know, that's a, that's a good amount, maybe not like enough, but the gold, the gold bar would have been about a pound and a quarter, and in today's value system here would be almost $25,000. If you saw some nice fancy clothes and 25 grand laying on the ground as you're making your way through, you might think about it too, right? Aiken did, and he took it for himself, and then he put it in the ground inside his tent. Again, the, the point here is so simple. Live transparently before the Lord because your sins will find you out. So finally, our last thing today, sin is nothing but trouble. Look down at verse 22. So Joshua sent the messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent, and they brought them to Joshua. And look at this. And all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Everybody tracking that real fast, right? They went in. They got the stuff out. The whole congregation is gathered around and they lay it all out. Here are your, here's the problem. That is tough, isn't it? Here it is. Here's why we lost these 36 men. Verse 24, And Joshua, together with Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, everything that he had, he took it to the valley of Achor. What's Achor mean? Trouble. This is the valley of trouble, right? And it would be trouble because we already saw in chapter 6, what did God say? If you take any of the cursed things, the things that are supposed to be devoted to God, if you take them for yourselves, they'll be accursed. And Israel will be cursed and it will cause Israel trouble. And guess what? Somebody did and they ran into trouble and they named the place trouble, the valley of trouble. And so we see that here. It is aptly named the Valley of Achor. Verse 25, Joshua said, why have you brought this what on us? This trouble, right? Again, that same word just resonating, Achor. Why have you brought this Achor on us? Why have you brought this trouble on us? His sin was nothing but trouble for his family, for his livelihood, for his uh, soldier brothers. It was nothing but trouble. Then Joshua says to him, the Lord will bring trouble, bring trouble on you today. And so they took care of the sin. All Israel stoned him. After they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then what happened? 
The Lord turned from his fierce anger, and therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Do you think before the next battle that there was any problem getting people to consecrate themselves? <laughs> right? Again, this is far from us, so it's kind of difficult. In our mind, we're like, oh, you know, that, wouldn't, you know, that really wouldn't happen in our time. But the problem is, is that we don't treat sin as seriously. And I'm not suggesting today that we would go and burn anyone or that we would stone anyone. But what I'm saying is that we should definitely treat sin as seriously as it is. Today, when we allow sin to, to open the door, like a, what does the Lord say there in Genesis? Sin is it's crouching at the door. <laughs> like it's ready to jump in. That's what he tells Cain, right? That's the way sin is. When we let the door leave it a little foothold, as Michael's kind of been sharing with us a little bit in his stuff, and sin makes its way in and we don't deal with it, we are asking for trouble. And the problem is the trouble isn't just for you. It'll be trouble for your family. It'll be trouble for your people connected to you. It'll be trouble for your livelihood. And so we need to live transparently before the Lord. Now, here's the great news. We talked about the good news in our Sunday school class today. If, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as horrible as this story is today, here's the unbelievable news. If you'll live transparently before the Lord, if you'll confess your sin, and confess means to agree with God about how he calls it, when God says this is wrong and you say, Lord, I did this, this was wrong, I'm bringing glory to you, God says, I'm not going to stone you and burn you and stick your gold and silver and put it on the pile of rocks. God says, I've given my son Jesus for you. He bore your sins. He bore my wrath. His blood covers your sin and I will forgive you. Amen? <laughs> That's the good news, all right? But we have to live transparently. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do this week. I want you to approach your life as you work your way through the week transparently. Be honest before the Lord. And if there's some things come up and you see in your like, self, and you're like, I don't like that, Lord, give that before the Lord and let him cleanse you of it. And here's the other thing I want you to think about. I want you to help be an influence on the people around you to, to name out that there is such a thing as sin and there needs to be such a thing as repentance. Our culture is so messed up because we won't call things sin. We won't do it. And if you don't have any sin, then do you need a Savior? <laughs> no, right? And do you see how that all ties together in our society, right? That's why we're in such a decline, because we won't agree with God about what is sin. And everybody just says, oh, well, it's some sort of psychological issue. You just need better medicine. You just need a better way of thinking. You just need to say, well, maybe it's not wrong at all. We'll just say this is how it is. And then we can get on with things, right? And when you do that and you eliminate sin, then all of a sudden, yeah, well, why would I need a Savior? I don't need any forgiveness because I don't have any problems. And the Scripture speaks, it just shouts at us today. Agree with God what God calls sin. Confess those sins before him. And then he is faithful. He'll just, he'll forgive us, and he'll cleanse us and make us what we need to be. All right? Let's stand, you guys, this morning. Thank you so much for your patience. And I know these stories are a little long, but I hope and pray that you'll hear the Lord as he's trying to speak to your heart today. So today, again, I'm going to go to the piano and play just for a moment.